Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Man, I feel the Lord's presence in this place today. And I know that He's always here. He's, he's always everywhere. But, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing when, when brothers and sisters come together. The spiritual thing that happens. And, and you know, I, one of the questions that's been asked me recently is like, you know, hey, you know, it, it seems like it'd be easier just to stay home and watch on the live stream or something, you know. And, and here's the thing that you miss when you do that. You miss this. You miss this. You miss this interaction. You miss this. The power of the Holy Spirit gathered together when God's kids come together and sing to the Lord like we're sitting around a campfire and like we're just singing to Jesus. And there is an atmosphere that's created that is there's a spiritual thing going on here that you can't get at home. And so listen. If you're still stuck at home and you're doing it out of convenience, shame on you. You get into a church or you come see us and, and uh, you know, we want to we encourage that for sure. But there is a spiritual thing that happens and I'm so grateful that we get to do this. Listen, it's just an amazing thing, man. God is so good. Um, a couple announcements for you this morning. Uh, youth group will be meeting June 10th, Wednesday, June 10th at 6 p.m., here at the church, and we want you to bring a, a, a lawn chair, and we're gonna do, we're gonna do a little fire pit in the back and do some s'mores and stuff. We won't burn anything down, Mike. We promise. We won't. We'll try not to. Anyway, but if the firemen get called, then so be it. But we're gonna we're gonna have a time of fellowship, worship, and a little bit of the word, and do some fun things. So uh, June 10th again. We're we're in our summer schedule, so we've got some. We're we're doing we're meeting sort of one once a monthish and trying to do some different events to. Um, you know, we know people's lives get get busier in the summer, and people go on vacations and things like that. And also, um, you know, it's nice to have a little breather, a little break to to refresh and just sit before the Lord. So we're we're doing that, and also home fellowships are in the same kind of platform. Although the Thackers are meeting through the summer, so if you still want to get connected, you can connect with Brian and talk to him about how to um, attend his home fellowship. I think the Trimble Home Fellowship is meeting once a month. Again, you can talk to Mike or you can talk to Pastor Mike or. Um, uh, Gene Trimbo about that and figure out what their, their schedule is doing. They're going to get together, um, you know, for that. And uh, um, so, and also, I don't know if you guys have heard, maybe you've seen the, the message on Facebook that we did end up rescheduling VBS. So um, we're going to reschedule VBS for 2021. Uh, we just weren't sure with all the uncertainty of what's happening. And there was some, some of the kids that we were going to have come had, you know, there, there was a, they dropped out. And so we're like, well, let, let's just hold off. And, you know, who knows what's going to happen here. And uh, rather than put all the work into it um, right, you know, right now and then it not happen, we just said, let's just reschedule it. Um, so, you know, we're, we're still believing the Lord's going to do an amazing thing through that. And we want to also thank everyone so much for all that they have contributed. There's still work to be done, and we'll be doing those things throughout the next year or so. But um, so we'll keep you posted on it, but did want to make that mention to you about that. And finally, listen, uh, we're coming back together, and, um, you know, there's lots of holes that need to be filled because, you know, as, as we've dispersed, you know, uh, it seems like some things have fallen apart in terms of our service to each other and, and serving the Lord here in our body. So listen, we want to encourage you to serve here. If you're, this is your church, we would encourage you to serve here in some capacity. Um, you know, we're, we're still trying to figure out children's ministry and what's going to be going on there in terms of, uh, you know, whether, when we're going to bring that back and how that's going to work. We're kind of waiting for some guidance on that. Um, and, and really, honestly, guidance from the Lord, to be honest, not 
so much anything else other than guidance from the Lord regarding that. And so um, we, we, would you pray with us regarding just kind of what the Lord would have us to do in that regard? And, um, but we do need servants. You know, there's, there's lots of things that still you can do. So um, I'm going to point you to Mike because he's good at this. Pastor Mike, if you, if, if you are interested in serving somehow, will you talk to him uh, and just let him know like, hey, I'm available. What we don't want to do, to be honest with you, is tell you what to do. Like we, we don't, but we'll tell you what's available and then we can plug you in. But what we would really encourage you to do is pray and ask the Lord, Lord, what do you've gifted me? And if you're super gifted in, you know, ice breaking with people, then you should probably be a greeter. If you're super gifted with kids, you should probably be involved with the kids somehow, you know? There's things that God has gifted you in. If you're not good with kids, you probably shouldn't do that. I'm just saying. I mean, we might put you in there just because we need a dead body. No, I'm not kidding. I'm kidding, but we wouldn't do that, to be honest. But so I just want to encourage you to do that, to, to serve the body, man. Uh, there, it's a big blessing. It's a huge blessing. And honestly, like if you have technical understanding and know-how, we need your help back there. Because there's people that do it, but people get stuck back there because there's not a lot of people that volunteer in our media area. And let me tell you, we live in a digital world. And so, you know, as much as we want to encourage people to come to church, we can get the gospel out through the internet and different things like that. And if you're gifted in that area, we need your help. We need to figure out how we can better do what we're doing. So we would just implore you, man, get involved somehow. We would encourage you to do that, all right? All right, now, if you have a Bible... Uh, turn with me to Daniel chapter 4 this morning. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Pastor Brian will get you one. Uh, Daniel chapter 4, in the Old Testament, going through the book of Daniel, and we are five weeks into our series called Counter Culture. And man, thank you so much for last week, Pastor Brian. The the message was on point in terms of our standing for Christ in a, through the fiery trials. And we're in some fiery trials, all of us, all the time. So what a timely message for us, man. Particularly, there, there are literal fiery trials going on in our cities today. So uh, we need to stand for the Lord. And um, if you missed the message, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it on our website. You can also find it on f- our Facebook page, on our YouTube page. You can find it on iTunes or Google Play. So just Google Calvary Chapel of Columbia um, put that in your iTunes podcast or whatever, in whatever platform you're in, and uh, you can go there, or you can just go to our website, and they're, they're in our media section. So encourage you to, to get caught up on, the, on these messages. Uh, the Lord has put the book of Daniel on our hearts to bring to you through the, this, this time period, and I think it's, it's definitely interesting how God's going to use this book, because there's a lot of stuff in this book that I think applies to us, particularly how do we as believers respond to a society where our rights are being taken away, right? I mean, you look at Daniel and and Hananiah, um, Michelle, and Azariah, they were put into a a place where they had zero rights, right? They had rights, and then they were taken, their rights were taken away from them. How do we as Christians respond to that? I think it's super important, and, and maybe that's one of the reasons why the Lord is speaking to us about this. I'm not I'm not saying that we should just lay down and let our rights be taken away from us, but I think we should be very, very careful about how we respond to the things that are going on in our culture today. Because remember, you represent Jesus first, not yourself. Remember, you died. You were crucified. It's no longer you who live, but it's Christ who lives in you. So you are an ambassador of Christ, so you better make sure that when you're responding on social media platforms or with a dialogue with a person that you're doing it in Jesus' name. Because you are doing it in Jesus' name if you are 
in any, if people know you're a Christian, you are doing it in Jesus' name. So we want to be super careful about how we do that. And I think there is a good, um, good way we can do that as we go through the book of Daniel and consider how, he, how they are navigating through this culture that's totally against them and that's really trying to snuff out the Hebrewness of them completely, trying to take the Jew out of them and make them Babylonians. So pretty interesting. Um, as we've gone through the book, you know, the, 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 the entire... I would say overarching theme of the book is the sovereignty of God, that God is sovereign in everything that he's doing. Now, there are two truths, however, that run through the entirety of the Bible. Um, the sovereignty of God obviously does, but there's two truths that run through the entirety of the Bible that are also found very prevalent in the book of Daniel. And they're important, so I would be ready to write them down. Are you ready? So, so here, here we go. Truth number one is this. There is only one God. That is the number one truth of the Bible, that there is only one God. Okay, number two is even more important, even though it's number two. Okay, number two is, you ready? You're not him. Okay, so there's only one God. Number two, you're not him. Listen, if we can get that, that will change our lives. Do you know that? That will change your life. If you truly believe that there's only one God and you're not him, you're going right down the center of the path that God wants you to be on. Now, we all know that to be true. In our heart of hearts, we know that to be true, and yet it's a challenge for us, isn't it? It's incredibly challenging for us. Of course, we would never say that. We would never say like, well, I, I, I don't... I don't challenge that, you know, I'm not God. That's the part we, we're challenged with. But we, we challenge that by the way that we live. So, so the way that we live tells the story if we truly believe that there is only one God and we're not it. The way that we live our lives tells the story regarding that. And, and listen, it's a, it's a challenging thing because we still have the, the flesh contending with us, Right? And the flesh wants to be king of kings in our life. It, it wants to sit on the throne of It wants to manifest itself and go after all kinds of lusts of the world. Listen, if we're not careful, even Christians will begin to worship themselves rather than worship the Lord. Now, there is one specific thing that, that, that is the, the, what I would call the evil attribute behind this sort of rebellion in the heart of a believer and an unbeliever, it's the same. And it's that dirty five little five letter word. You know what it is. It's that word pride. It's that word pride. P R I D E. Pride. Anybody know what pride is? Anybody struggle with pride? No, not me. Yes, you do. You, you just, you struggle with pride. I'm the humblest person I know. Okay, then. We, we don't believe you. Listen, pride. Pride is a deceiver, and it will keep the sinner from his greatest need, who is Jesus Christ. Why? Because pride tells you that you're bigger than you really are. It tells you that you're worth far more than you really are. It tells you that God is lucky to have you on his team, right? Pride is a deceiver, and it's something that we need to be very, very careful of. Ask Satan. He knows that story very well. Remember, it was pride that, that, that caused Satan to storm the throne of God to his demise. Listen to the words of Isaiah, who penned this moment for us. In Isaiah chapter 14, verses two, 12 through 14, he said, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. 
How you are cut down to the ground, you who lay the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the throne, on, on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But the Lord said this, but you are brought down to Sheol to the far reaches of the pit. Satan repeatedly states the telltale sign of the presence of pride, I, I, I. And we'll see that in our story today. I, I, I. It's the telltale sign of pride. If you're walking around telling people, I, 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 you got a pride problem. You have a pride problem because your life is being lived out as you, the center, rather than the Lord, the center, then others, and then whenever you get to it, yourself. Right? Last will be first, and the first shall be last, right? I was going to share that password with whoever you are, but I decided not to. Yeah, anyway, so, so pride is something we need to be careful of, man. Something that we need to beware of. Remember when the 72 came back uh, rejoicing to Jesus. Remember what they said? That they were rejoicing that even the demons were subject to them. Do you remember what Jesus' response was to them? Jesus said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, you guys are rejoicing over the wrong thing. Here's what he said to them. I saw Satan fall like lightning. Now, doesn't that seem like that comes out of nowhere? They come back and they're like, Lord, we just did all these things in, in, in your name and the demons were subject to us. We were able to do all these things. <laughs> I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. You're thinking like, what? what? What does that? He goes on to say this. Mark chapter 10, verse 19. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the powers of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Verse 20, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What Jesus is saying here is, listen, beware of pride in your life. When I start to use you, one of the most dangerous places for the Christian to be in this world is to be used by God and, and to be known that you're used by God because there's a potential for you to become prideful and think it's you when it's not you at all. That's what the Lord is saying to his disciples here. He's saying, beware. Do not let yourself become prideful. Listen, some of us, to be honest, are, walk around like, you know, we have arrived. And the reality is we have not. If, and in fact, if that's the heart, if that is the attitude of the Christian walk for you, you, you really are sort of in the immature status of Christianity because it's not all about you at all. It's about Jesus, and so, you know, we have to be super careful about as the Lord uses us that we don't start to think ourselves more than we really are. I, I, I love that, that, that Paul, who God used mightily, by the way, uh, was a guy who understood that it, he had nothing going for him except for Jesus, right? He, he's like, Jesus, you're, you're the reason that I'm able to do everything that I'm able to do. You know, uh, you're, you're the driver behind my life. It's not because I'm a, a great speaker or it's not because I have a, a, a really bright mind or it's not because I have a way of persuasion with people. It's because you're working in my life and we need to continually stay at that place on our knees before the Lord saying, Lord, 
You're the one doing these things. You're the one doing these things. Maturity in, in the walk of a believer understands, elevates the Lord always. As we walk out this life and the Lord uses us, we need to beware of pride. God hates pride, folks. And in fact, in Proverbs 6, 16, you know that verse, it's, there's six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Verse 17 goes on to say, haughty eyes, it's the first thing. Haughty eyes, what is that? That's pride. God hates proud people. God hates proud people. Why does he hate proud people? Because pride is the generator of all sin. Pride is the generator of all sin. When you start to elevate yourself, you're capable of doing anything. You know, you watch these guys who, these, these NFL players and these people who have been, have some sort of status in this world today and they, they think they're above the law and they can do whatever they want, right? You see that mentality. That's what pride will do. You'll think you're above God's law. You'll think that you're above God's plan. And so God hates pride for that reason. Pro, Proverbs 16.5 goes on to tell us, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Now, that seems pretty emphatic to me. I don't know, but this seems like if we're, if we're arrogant in heart at all, number one, we're not pleasing to the Lord, and number two, he's not going to let that slide. He's not going to let that slide. We've seen many pastors who have stepped in pulpits and, and risen in, in great magnitude before men and been propped up and, and had this status, a celebrity status pastor and all these things, and we were seeing these guys fall, fall like flies. Why? Pride. Pride. They start to think. It's a human tendency to start to think that you're something when you're nothing. There's this human tendency when God uses you in, in a way that you start to elevate yourself. And that's what's happened to many, many Christians. Satan has done an incredible job, folks, of picking believers off one at a time by using pride. It's so subtle. It's so easy for us. And yet, guess what? He, he is really not that unique in the way that he tempts us. He tempts us in the things that we like to be tempted in. He tempts us in the sins that we like to dabble in. He knows what, what the things that you, you like. And so those are the things that he's going to tempt you with. Pride is something that we all deal with. It's something that we all need to be aware of. Peter and James both quote Proverbs 3.34 in the New Testament, and they both say this, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You know what that word oppose means? It means God, God literally shows hostility towards the proud. Towards the proud. Literally, it says that God, it means that God sets up an army of array against those who are prideful. The pride of man will lead to the opposition of God. And what's the point of that? Why is God opposing that? Because he knows the, the, the deadliness of pride. That's why. Listen, if you, if you want a, a single line sort of statement about what the entire Bible is, one single word, you could, you could uh, call it this, redemption. That's what God is about. God is not about trying to um, make you pay for what you've done. God is about paying for what you've done. God is about redeeming you from yourself. God is about reconciliation and being in relationship with you. And so everything that he says in the book of the Bible, even in a negative context like this, where he says he opposes the proud, is meant for one reason. It's meant for reconciliation. It's meant for redemption. 
God is trying to get to your heart. And as we will find in our story today, he will do whatever he has to do to do it. He will take you wherever he has to take you to get you to understand that he is God and you are not. You are not. This is what we are going to find in our text this morning. I'm calling this message the humbling of God. The humbling of God. Anybody ever experienced the humbling of God before? And man, what an amazing thing, right? I could tell you all kinds of testimonies of the humblings of God. And we're going to see a, a testimony of a humbling of God that leads to salvation. And, and I will tell you this, that every salvation story is a result of the humbling of of God in some way, shape, or form. Stand with me, and we're going to read the first three verses together, and then we're going to um, dive into this text. Daniel chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Go down to verse 37 where it goes on to say, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, Lord that you're so gracious to us, Lord, that you were so subtle with us, that you reveal yourself to us over and over and over again because you love us. Lord, I know that maybe today there are some things that you want to say to each one of us individually. And we just pray that our hearts are open to hear from you, that this would be the subtle message that we receive this morning, and that, that changes the things that you want changed in our lives. You don't have to bring us to the bottom of the barrel to humble us, Lord, but you will if we are resistant. So will you help us, Lord, this morning to be humble and to receive what you would say to each one of us individually today? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Every human being aside from Jesus Christ has experienced the humbling of God. Every testimony of man includes the humbling of God for we would never obtain salvation without it because we are too prideful. But thankfully, God is relentless and he's willing to do whatever is necessary to confront the pride of man for if he doesn't, it will keep us from true and genuine reconciliation and surrender to the person of Jesus Christ. What did it take to humble you? How did you come to Christ? What was it that the Lord did in your life that made you go down on your knees and humble yourself before the one and true living God? What was it? Maybe it was not just one thing. For some of us, it was maybe something pretty subtle. It was just a word from somebody. Maybe it was just just a, 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 a thought that you know, maybe we grew up in the church and we, we, we heard the gospel over and over again and one day we just realized like, well, I'm a sinner. <laughs> I'm not as good as I thought I was and now I need to do something with that. Maybe it was like that subtle. <laughs> but for most of us, 
It was far more than that. It was far greater than it, far more drastic than that. If you're anything like Nebuchadnezzar, you really had to get knocked on the head for the Lord to get your attention. What did it take to humble you? In Daniel chapter 4, we find the personal testimony of Nebuchadnezzar. So these aren't the words of Daniel. These are the words of Nebuchadnezzar that the Holy Spirit has told Daniel to insert in the Bible. This is somehow Nebuchadnezzar, maybe this is a letter that's gone out to the entirety of Babylon after this seven-year humbling that the Lord brings upon his life. These are the direct words of Nebuchadnezzar declaring the Lord is the only God, declaring what God had to do to bring him to that place of surrendering his heart to the Lord. Now, there's all kinds of, you know, views on whether Nebuchadnezzar really did come to the Lord in this passage. And you can make up your own mind. I personally ascribe to the fact that he did. Because you see the, the total change in this guy's response to God. And if you've been following the, the story with us thus far, one of the things that Nebuchadnezzar has an issue with is declaring that there is only one God. Truth number one. He has an issue with that. And then we're going to see today that he also has an issue with truth number two, that he's not him. So Nebuchadnezzar is struggling with the very basics. But the Lord is relentless. And the Lord continues to pursue him. And the Lord is not going to let him go. You know, he, he starts out here and he says, listen, he, he says, King Nebuchadnezzar, he says, I want to tell you about the signs and the wonders that I have seen. Like the things that he experienced in a short period of time, and this is some, uh, you know, 30 or 40 years. Daniel might be 50 years old at this point when this happens, you know. So Daniel was probably 14 to 17 years old when he went into Babylon, and he's probably 50 at this point. So maybe it's 40 years of, of, of the Lord working in his life and the Lord speaking into his life over and over again that he is the only king and that he's the ruler that has put Nebuchadnezzar in his position, right? And, and, and so he's been hearing it over and over and over again. And, and he's experienced some marvelous things like th this dream that he had. You know, he, he, he has a dream and, and, and we see this in chapter two and, and he, no one in his kingdom can interpret this dream except for Daniel. And remember, at the end of chapter one, God says, he gave Daniel a special ability to be able to, to interpret dreams and visions for such a time as this. And then the very next chapter, you find the king of Babylon struggling with a dream. And it, it's perplexing to him, like, and it's scary to him. And so you remember the dream. It was the, the, the statue that speaks about the different, different kingdoms that are going to come and all of that. And so at the end of it, of course, Nebuchadnezzar says, oh, Daniel, your God is the God of gods, remember? The God of gods. No, 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 that's wrong. He's the God, the only God, not the God of gods. He's the only God, right? Then we get to chapter 3, which Pastor Brian taught on yesterday, or last week. 
And, and we find there Nebuchadnezzar erecting this statue, which is probably of himself, by the way. And, you know, and, and he's this 70-foot some kind of statue thing. And, and what's amazing, I don't know if you caught this, but this was in a, in a large group of people. It wasn't just Nebuchadnezzar and some soldiers and then the fiery furnace. This was in a, in a, there was a ton of people at this thing. Like perhaps even the entirety of Babylon was there. All of the leaders of Babylon were there. And, and we find, you know, the, the, it, Nebuchadnezzar says, now is the time to bow. And of course, the whole nation goes down because they're obeying their king, except for who? <laughs> Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? They wouldn't bow. And then you have some rulers who say, hey, who are those guys over there? Let's bring them over here. And of course, they get thrown in the fiery furnace. And you remember, Nebuchadnezzar's watching them, and he's saying, Man, my, you know, people are dying as they're throwing these guys in the fire, and they're, they're alive. And he said, they're walking around in there. What are they doing? Wait a second. There's four people in there, not three. And one of them looks like the Son of Man. You want to talk about something amazing? I remember another guy in the Bible that saw clearly the Son of Man, and it transformed his life. His name was Saul. He became Paul. And he wrote the majority of the New Testament, by the way. I mean, that's what kind of impact it would have on you, probably on your life and probably on my life. But Nebuchadnezzar was so proud that that also did not capture his attention enough. And so the Lord goes on here and he says, Nebuchadnezzar, you have seen so much. You have seen so much. And by the way, you're responsible for what you've seen. Do you know that? You're accountable to God for what you know about God. You're accountable to God for the gospel that has been presented to you, perhaps over and over and over again. You're accountable for the knowledge that you have. And Nebuchadnezzar is accountable to God right here because he has, been, he has seen things that should have made him fall to the ground and say, you are the only God and I'm not him. But he does not. So he says, but he will because God will take him down this path. So Nebuchadnezzar starts this storyline of speaking about, man, I've seen all kinds of great things, but God still didn't get my attention. So God gave me a dream. Isn't it interesting how God speaks to you in the language that you need to be spoken in? Like, if you need to be spoken in Vietnamese, then he will speak to you in Vietnamese. Like, he will speak to you exactly the way that you need to be spoken to. For Nebuchadnezzar, it was through dreams. And so the Lord says in verse, or Nebuchadnezzar speaking, says in verse 4, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies of the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. The magicians and the enchanters, the Chaldeans and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me. He who was named Belshazzar, named after the name of, or after the name of my God, and in whom the spirit of the holy gods... And I told him the dream, saying, O Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the vision of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. Verse 10, the visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. 
The tree grew and became strong, and its tops reached to the heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beast of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. Verse 13, I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in my bed, uh, I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud with, and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches. Strip it of its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be the beasts and the, and the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him, and, less, and let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones to the end, that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets it over the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belshazzar, tell me the interpretation because all of the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretations, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Wow. Talk about the Lord trying to get your attention. Hey, listen, if you're having a recurring dream and it's scaring the daylights out of you, you might want to consider it. I don't know. I'm just saying. That's what's happening to him. Isn't it interesting that Nebuchadnezzar, when he, he, he mentions ver the very beginning that he was at ease in his home, that he was prospering in his kingdom. Isn't that interesting? Because isn't that the moment you're most vulnerable to temptation? When you're at ease in your home, when you're prospering, when you are, when things are going great, man, you don't need the Lord because you got it all under control. Wrong. You need the Lord always. And in fact, you need the Lord double, double portion of the Lord when you've got things going well in your life because there's a huge temptation for you to become prideful. He was at ease in his home. He was like, it's all good in the hood, man. We're, we're, I'm, I'm just relaxing. Things are going great. The entire nation is bowing down to me. Look what I've done. And the Lord knocks on his heart. And he says, hey, hey, Nebi, let me tell you something. You're not all that. You're not who you think you are. Let me show you who you really are. Let me show you what I'm going to do to you if you don't repent and you don't turn away from your pride. And so he gives him the dream. And of course, he calls his magicians and all these guys together, just like the first dream in chapter two, and they can't, they can't tell him anything. They don't know anything. Now, there's a principle in that, and I didn't bring it up in chapter two because I didn't have time, but I'm gonna tell you now. The principle is this. Do you know that they were operating by the kingdom of darkness, right? The, the magicians, the Chaldeans, all of the Babylonian um, people were operating in the kingdom of darkness, and yet the kingdom of darkness couldn't tell Nebuchadnezzar his dream in chapter 2, couldn't tell him his interpretation, nor can the kingdom of darkness tell Nebuchadnezzar the interpretation of this dream. Why? Because the kingdom of darkness is not God, period. God is God. Satan and God are not equal. Satan is a created being. All of the, uh, the demons, all the minions of Satan are created beings that are subject to God. 
And that needs to be made known because the kingdom of, the kingdom of darkness cannot overrule your life and cannot insert, you know, they, they can't read your mind. They can't do any of these kinds of things. Nebuchadnezzar knew the dream that he had, and yet the kingdom of darkness could not tell the, 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 the people that they were operating with. They couldn't, they couldn't understand what the dream was. They didn't know. They couldn't read his mind. So that tells you the limitations of the kingdom of darkness. That's my point. There is an incredible limitating factor relating to the devil and the, the minions, and they are not, you know, the same, to, in the same degree as Satan, or the same degree as God. God is far greater. He's creator. Greater is he who's in you than he is in the world. Leah told us that today as we were praying. Listen, you have nothing to fear relating to the kingdom of darkness because your Lord is Lord over all. So you had nothing to worry about. But Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. His people can't tell the dream. Of course, Daniel shows up and he says, oh, finally. Like this guy can tell me what's going on. Did you notice the language that he uses? He, first of all, he gives him the name, the Babylonian name of his Babylonian god, Belshazzar. Number one, he's still, he's discrediting the Lord by taking away his Hebrew name and giving him this, this Babylonian name. He's saying, this is my God. This is the God that I bow to, Belshazzar. You tell me the interpretation. It's not like he's asking the Lord. He's asking Belshazzar, right? So he's still not quite clear about who God is and, and all, how this all works. Not only that, but then he's saying, you, you have the spirit of the gods in you. Like, there's multiple gods, and Daniel just is the channel of all these multiple gods, and he can, that's not the way it works at all. And in fact, Daniel makes that clear, very clear in chapter 2. When he tells him about the dream, he says before he even gets to the dream or its interpretation, he tells him, this is not because I'm somebody. I'm going to tell you these things because the God that I serve is great. He is the one and only true living God, and I want you to understand who he is. He, he like, makes that declaration throughout chapter 2. So, so Nebuchadnezzar's heard it, and yet he hasn't heard it, has he? He hasn't heard that at all. Nebuchadnezzar still doesn't believe that there's only one God. Nebuchadnezzar believes in his God system. He has created a God in his own image. And listen, if you've created a God in your own image, it's going to be awfully hard for you to bow your knee to the God of the Bible, right? Because the God that's created in your own image is a God that will succumb to your lusts and succumb to the things that you like. That's why people are creating a God in their own image and saying, you know, hey, it's okay to be homosexual. It's okay to be promiscuous. It's okay to do this sin or that sin or to have fits of anger or to be greedy or all these different kinds of things that people say and, and say it's okay to do. Well, guess what? They're not worshiping the God of the Bible because the God of the Bible says none of that's okay. The God of the Bible has declared who he is. We don't declare who he is. He's declared himself who he is, and he's the one we worship. But see, the problem is that if when we create a God in our own image and it doesn't match up when we read the Bible, then we discount the Bible. Oh, no, it's, that's not the God that I worship. Really, well, what God is that? What God is it that you worship? The God that you created. That's the thing. And Nebuchadnezzar has created a God in his own image, and he still, no matter what he's seen, no matter what he's heard, he still, listen to this, refuses to believe that there's only one God and he's not him, right? That's the pride of man. Listen, I know I've been there. I created a God in my own image for 20-some years, 24 years, and I walked the streets of the world saying, I'm a good person. 
and I do good things, and I do, you know, my good deeds and my bad deeds will outweigh each other. That's creating a God in your own image, by the way, because that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible says you can't do anything to contribute to your salvation. But I went along with that, with that false perception and that false God and following, you know, basically not following, any, following myself. I was my own God. I did whatever I wanted to do, and I said, hey, I'm going to go to heaven because I'm a good person, right? We've all done that. We've all done that to some degree before we came to Christ. Listen, maybe, uh, you know, well, I'm not even going to go there, but, but, but what the reality is is Nebuchadnezzar will not bow his knee because he refuses to believe in the God of the Bible. He refuses to believe in the God, the one and true living God that Daniel represents, and so he continues on with this. And the Lord is not going to be mocked, folks. You know, he, 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 he wants Nebuchadnezzar's heart. He wants Nebuchadnezzar to understand who he is, and he's going to do what he has to do to get there. So Daniel tells him, okay, Daniel shows up, and he can give him the interpretation, verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belshazzar answered and said, My Lord, may the dream uh, be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. So Daniel isn't super excited to tell Nebuchadnezzar the interpretation of this dream. Right? He, he's not jumping with joy. And in fact, it says that he sat there in dismay for a while. Like he's, he does not really want to tell Nebuchadnezzar what it is that he has seen because Nebuchadnezzar is his friend. He loves Nebuchadnezzar. He knows what this means almost instantaneously. That's why he responds the way that he does because he says, dude, this is not good for you. This is not a good thing, right? The Lord is going to come down on you like a hammer, dude. And you know what? I hate to be the bearer of bad news. I, I don't know, but I kind of sense that maybe the way that Daniel responds to the interpretation of this dream is sort of the way that we should respond to unbelievers. Like it shouldn't super excite us to tell, tell them their fate, right? Hey, you're going to hell, you know? You're, you're distant from God and, and God wants nothing, to, you know? You're never gonna make it on your own and, and all these kind of things and they're truths, but some, sometimes people are a little too excited to tell people that, you know what I mean? Sometimes believers are a little too excited to tell unbelievers where they're going, I don't see that here, and I don't see that in the heart of Jesus either. When is the last time that your heart broke? I'm talking broke it, it, for, the, for the lost. I'm talking like you see them, and you see their faith, and the Lord wants you to tell them what's going on, and you're just broken before them because you, you're the deliverer of the news. I, I, I tell you, if we're doing it with the right heart, that will be our response. We will be broken for people. You know, what, what keeps us from being broken? Pride. Well, I'm going to heaven. Pride will keep you from seeing the lost people the way that we really should see them. Man, Daniel's broken here, but here's the re reality. He loves Nebuchadnezzar, and he's gonna tell him the truth. He's gonna tell him exactly what this means, and that's how we have to respond to the world, folks. We have to be incredibly honest with people, right? We, we can't hold back the truth, particularly with those people that you love. 
If you, if you really do love them, then you should not hold back the truth from them. Daniel says, I'm not super excited about this. And in fact, he, he responds to him and says, I wish this were for your enemies, not for you. Like it's that bad. But let me tell you what, what, what the interpretation is. Verse 20, the tree you saw, which grew and became strong so that its tops reached to heaven and it was uh, visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. Verse 22, it is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to the heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Do you see the transformation that just took place? He's talking about a tree. Now he's talking about a man. Daniel is saying, now we're going to talk about you. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has become upon my Lord the king, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwellings shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, listen, till you know. Till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to, live, uh, to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Daniel tells King Nebuchadnezzar, essentially because of his pride, God is going to humble him. God is going to humble him. He didn't hold anything back because he cares about Nebuchadnezzar and he wants him to know the truth. This reminds me of the story of David and Nathan. Remember? The, the, the whole encounter with uh, Bathsheba and David had this hidden sin and the Lord tells Nathan, you go tell David that I know. Nathan loves David. Nathan is David's friend. He loves him. He cares for him dearly and so he goes to David and he's you know, probably a lot like Daniel here, doesn't want to tell him the reality, but listen, God knows. God knows what you've done, David, and here's what he said about it. And you're going to have a choice, and he's going to kill your baby because you have done this out of wedlock. The Lord's going to take your baby, probably took him to heaven, probably with him in heaven, you know, and, but, but David is going to be responsible for that because of his actions, but it was through the voice of, of Nathan. Nathan went and told him that. Here we have Daniel going to Nebuchadnezzar, and he's going to be honest with him. He's going to tell him, listen, I love you enough to tell you the truth. I, I don't know if there are friends in your life right now that you're afraid to jeopardize your friendship with, right? If you're honest with them, there's no way that they're going to be friends with you. Can I tell you this? Can I, can I remind you that you're an ambassador of Christ and that's your first allegiance is to him? Can I remind you that if you truly do love your friend, that you will not hold back the truth? Can I remind you that maybe God has put you in a place in this person's life 
not to be a sounding board for them, but to actually be a voice of truth in their life that you could really, maybe, maybe you could, through, through, through the relationship you have, bring the gospel in a way to them that would make sense. If you love that person enough, the time, the timing is of the Lord for sure. But don't, do not refuse to tell them the truth because you are trying to protect your relationship. That's not love, folks. That's not real. What's real is I'm going to tell you something that may hurt you and it may jeopardize my relationship with you, but I'm going to tell you because I love you and because I care about you. Are you really going to let a temporary relationship jeopardize an eternal one? Are you really going to say, hey, I'm going to jeopardize their eternity so that I can remain friends with them temporarily? Does that make sense at all? Because to me, if God puts somebody in my life that needs to hear the gospel, he will present the time. And I'm not saying that, don't be overbearing, please. That's not, the, that's not what I'm saying. But God will open the window, and that's the time that you step in and you be honest. Commit to that. Listen, if you really care about your friend, your loved one, whoever it is, you be praying for that opportunity. And you be in prayer that every time you meet with them, Maybe this is the time that the Lord is going to open the window, and I will be faithful, Lord. If you open the window, I will be faithful to speak the truth because their eternity is at stake. It's so important. Daniel doesn't shirk this whole idea because he's his friend. Because friends, friends above all, they tell you the truth. He tells him, listen, you're going to be humbled, humbled incredibly, but God is not going to wipe you out of your kingdom. So there's, he's going to chop you down, but he's going to put a, put a band around that stump to preserve it. He's, it's going to preserve the stump so that the stump can come back up at some point. Any, any person that understands arbory or, you know, trees and all of that, they know what that means. But the, it's, it's a preservation of that, of that stump. He's, God is preserving the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar because God is the one that placed him there. And God's saying, I'm not done with you yet, but you need to understand who I am. So he tells him that. Now, he goes on to tell him, listen, you're going to be like, like, like an, an insane animal. You're going to eat grass. You're going to be like, like an ox in a field. And you're, it's going to be insane. You might, you might think like, gosh, that seems kind of harsh, doesn't it? I mean, why, why would God do that? Listen, as I said before, God loves us so much that he will do whatever he has to do to get our attention, whatever. If that means causing you to go temporary or insane for seven years, that you would be put into a pasture like a wild animal and you're going to live out there, that God might be able to reveal himself to you, then he will do that. That should somewhat put a little bit of fear in our hearts. I, I mean, I think just a little bit of, like even as a believer, that should make me be like, oh yeah, that's, it's that God. Let me, let me tell you, this is not the God of the Old Testament, and then there's a God of the New Testament. It's the same God, right? It's the same God that, that did this to Nebuchadnezzar that also in the New Testament did that to Ananias and Sapphira. I will remind you, listen, as believers, there should be a fear of the Lord in our hearts to say, Lord, I know you'll do whatever you have to do because you love me. You love me, you love me en enough to, to not allow me to go on and on in these, these, these places that are not good for me. The Lord is going to humble Nebuchadnezzar, but the point of his humbling is not for ridicule, but for reconciliation. He's not doing it because he wants Nebuchadnezzar, he wants to show Nebuchadnezzar who he is. 
he, he, he's doing it because he wants Nebuchadnezzar to have that relational understanding of who God is, that he could be redeemed from God, that he could come to a place of really crowning him the one and true king of his life. So Daniel tells him, man, this is what's going to happen to you. Go, go on to verse 27 there. It says, therefore, <clears throat> O king, listen, Daniel's counsel to the king now. He's interpreted the dream. Here's my counsel. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may be, perhaps, be a lengthening of your prosperity. Again, Daniel not only tells him the reality, right? Here's the reality, like we're called to. Your sin will, will take you to hell. That's the reality. But here's the remedy. Repentance. Here's the remedy. He doesn't just give him the, his fate, but tells him how he can change his fate. Right? As, as, as ministers of the gospel, we have a remedy for people. We have the gospel, folks. We have the answer. Like everything that's going on in our world, the gospel can cure. Right? If people give their hearts to the Lord, then, then things will drastically change. It's, it's the resistance to give themselves to the Lord that's the problem. The gospel's the answer. And so Daniel, Daniel goes to Nebuchadnezzar and he says, listen, my God is a forgiving God. He's an incredibly tender and merciful God and he, he's a gracious God and he wants to be, relate. Will, will you just turn from your sin, Nebuchadnezzar? Will you repent from your sin and will you treat the people in your kingdom correctly? You know, the, he's, he's answering two questions. Will you crown the Lord king of your life and then will you live for him? That's what he's saying to him. Now, we've seen over and over and over again testimonies in, the, in, in the, the, the word of God where people who were hell-bent on going the other way were confronted with Christ and brought back and gone the other way. We see that where, where, where the Lord changed what, his, uh, you know, what he was going to do in people's lives because they repented. We see that with uh, Hezekiah, King Hezekiah. We also see that with um, the people of Nineveh where the Lord sends Jonah who who, by the way, there are a lot of Jonas in the world today who don't want to go tell the world that they're going to go to hell if they don't repent, and, and, but there's a remedy whose name is Jesus. But when they did that, God relented. God's a merciful God. He's a, he's a forgiving God. He wants to forgive people. And Daniel tells him, listen, this is what I know about God. I know that my God is so forgiving that if you'll turn your heart to him and you turn away from your sin, you'll repent. That's what it means, turn the other direction. That, that God will work in your life and it will change what's going to happen to you. And, you know, maybe Nebuchadnezzar does that for 12 months. We don't know. But it's 12 months later, he's humbled. Maybe he heard the words of what Daniel said here for a period of time and he, and he changed some things. We don't know. But what we know is he did not crown God king of his life until he went through this process. We need to be like Daniel, and we need to remind people of the remedy of their sin. Jesus said in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Trust in the power of the gospel and the wooing of the Spirit, 
to do the work in the hearts of your friends and your family, your loved ones, in the hearts of the people in our world today. Listen, trust the gospel. The gospel is powerful. Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, it's the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. It's the gospel. Take the gospel into the world, folks. What is the gospel, by the way? I, I think there's some mis, misunderstanding of what the gospel is. So can I tell you what the gospel is? Here's the gospel. That you are inherently bad person. No matter how incredibly great you think you are, you are inherently bad. God, God, you have sinned against God greatly. And because you have sinned against God greatly, there is a gigantic ravine between you and God. And there's no way for you to get to the other side. I don't care how, if you change today and you do all these good things, uh, there's no way for you to reconcile that chasm. It, your sin is too great. One sin is too great. God's expectation is perfection. But because we have sinned, we've been separated from God. But the Bible says that God brought a remedy for our situation. His name is Jesus Christ. He went to the cross of Calvary, pinned to a tree, bled and died for your sin personally. When he bled and died for your sin personally, he was thinking of you. And he said, anyone who calls upon my name shall be saved. Anyone who calls upon my name. I die for everyone. Anyone and everyone who will place their faith in me. He goes to the grave. He rises again from the dead, declaring to the entire world that his sacrifice is enough. That what he has done when he said it is finished, it was finished. That sin had been paid for. Our response to that is that we are called to bow our knee to him and make him the Lord of our life, not with our words, but with our heart in all sincerity. That is the gospel. That is the reality. And, 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 and the fact is that there are repercussions for those who do not receive that, that, that gift that God has given us. It's eternal damnation. Trust in the gospel. Do not be afraid to present the gospel because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. Be willing to bring the gospel to people. Now we see the humbling of Nebuchadnezzar in verse 28. All this came upon Nebuchadnezzar and at the end of these 12 months he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built in my mighty power as a royal resident of the Glory of my majesty, while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and you shall be the, with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass you, over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from, from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. Notice the phrase, all this. Not just part of it, came to pass, all of it. And what you need to understand is that everything that God says is going to come to pass exactly the way he says it. That's why we take the Bible literally. Listen, I don't know how you read the book of Revelation, but it's a literal book. Yes, there's sim symbolisms in it, but we, 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 we take the Bible as literal unless it 
doesn't make sense with the rest of Scripture. You, you, you consider the Scripture literal. When God says something, that's exactly what he means because that's exactly what he's going to do. You read the entire book of Revelation and everything he said that's going to happen is going to happen exactly the way that it says it's going to happen. Now, when you read words like the word like, it looked like this, or, you know, that's the writer, John, trying to describe something, but it's a literal thing that is going to happen. So here, here's what I'm telling you is that everything that God says is going to happen is going to happen. Everything, including 2 Timothy chapter 3, which is what we see in our world today, folks. We're seeing this in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. They're going to be boasters. They're going to, be, they're going to have a, a, a false sense of you know, God and all these different kinds of things. He, he describes to us to a T exactly what our society is, looks like because everything God says is going to happen is going to happen. And that happened exactly like he told Nebuchadnezzar was going to happen. That's exactly what happened. For 12, after 12 months, Nebuchadnezzar started to glory in his power and the Lord humbled him properly. He chopped him down like he said he was going to. He put him in the pasture like a beast. He, he probably had some sort of an insanity known as bianthropy, by, by which is a rare psychological condition where a person has delusions of being an ox. So he had some sort of a mental breakdown, and he just started to think he was an ox. And the, but, but listen, that was the Lord's doing. That was God's doing. This wasn't the enemy doing this. This was God doing this. this is, sometimes God does do these things to get our attention, folks. You know, we, sh we shouldn't always assume, oh, it's the enemy. It's not always the enemy. Sometimes God is trying to get my attention in a specific way. But the remedy is always the same, regardless of who it is, and that is Jesus Christ. So Nebuchadnezzar experiences all of this. Now we find the restoration, verse 34, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me, and I established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Listen, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. What an incredible testimony. But my, what it took to get him to a place where he would declare God as the king of all kings, as the king of heaven and, and to get Nebuchadnezzar to a place where he would praise and extol and honor him alone. My goodness, what an incredible, incredible account of a man that was so prideful that many of us would say, there's no way that person is ever going to be saved. There's no way that God will ever catch that person's heart. Wrong, wrong. And you know what? There's people in your life like that right now. There are people in your life that, that you look at and you go, they're just so against God, 
They're so hardened against a God. Listen, the Bible reminds us that God's hand is not too short that he can't save. His ear is not too dull that he can't hear. Here's what we need to take away from this. Number one, God will do whatever he has to do to reveal to us his true nature and character of who he really is, that he is the only God, and that, number two, we are not him. He will do whatever is necessary for us to do that. And so, you know, maybe if there's something going on in your life today and you've, you've grown sort of complacent in your walk with God and, and, and whatever, maybe you need to take the words of Daniel to heart this morning. You need to say, hey, I need to repent of the things that are going on in my life. Maybe you've been a little prou- proud in your walk and you feel like you've arrived spiritually in some way and maybe you're looking down even on, on people who are unbelievers. You know, you look at, oh, I can't believe that they're doing this or that. Or what. Listen, you know what we see in the world today? Exactly what we should expect to see in a lost world. I know it shocks the heck out of us when we turn the news on, but I don't know why because we're in a lost world. And, but, but here's the amazing thing is we're in a lost world and we have the keys to unlock the lostness and people don't give it to people. Is that amazing? That's amazing to me that there's an answer for what's going on and people are tentative to give that answer. I promise you, if someone was sitting in a burning car, you would do whatever you had to do to get in that car, uh, you know, to help them, to get them out of it. You would do what you had to do. You You would try and help them. And I'm telling you that the gospel is far more serious than that. Right, so I want to encourage you, man. There's people in your life that are lost and God has put you in their place. Share the gospel with people. Encourage people. You know, tell them, hey, there's a, there's a, there's a savior. There, I'm telling you what, there is, there is an openness today like never before because our world is falling apart. It's falling apart. People are afraid. And fear is an incredible motivator for people to really take and examine their hearts. So, you know, be, who, be the Daniels of this world and, and, and share the gospel with people. But listen, if, if you're not a believer, today is the day you need to come to Christ. If you're a believer and you're not living sincerely for the Lord, you need to repent and you need to come back to the Lord. You know, so this is your opportunity to respond to the word that's gone forth. There's gonna be a couple people up here to pray with you. If you wanna accept the Lord, you come up. You pray with one of these guys if, or, or, or a lady. Somebody will meet you up here. But listen, don't just leave. Respond to the Lord. Let the Lord take sincerely what's been said and respond to him. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word this morning and, and how good you are to us, Lord. How incredibly patient you are to us, Lord. How, how revealing you are to us, Lord. You, you show us who you are over and over and over again, and yet so oftentimes, Lord, we question, are you really who you say you are? Lord, may that answer, may that question be answered in our own hearts this morning as we consider, Lord, the greatness of who you are. You are the most high, the almighty one. You are omniscient, omnipresent, God. You are everywhere at once. You are all-powerful. You are, you are mighty, Lord. But you're also a God who is incredibly intimate. You're compassionate, Lord. You demonstrate your love for us over and over and over again. You're kind to us, Lord. You are so gracious and you want nothing more than the best for us. And so this morning, God, we want to just respond to you. We want to bow our hearts low before you. 
We want to exalt your name, Lord. You're worthy. Will you move in this place this morning, Lord, in the hearts of every person? Those who are watching online, Lord, those who are listening to this some other time, Lord, will you move in our hearts today to repent, to turn our heart to you, Lord, maybe to come to salvation this morning. We just commit ourselves to you, Lord. Fill us with your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.